Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Aoife Drury with me. Aoife is an accredited psychosexual and relationship therapist and is currently carrying out a doctorate in psychotherapy. Eva runs her practice online, seeing both couples and individuals, and is passionate about debunking mental health stigmas and creating a safe environment to talk about sexual health challenges. Eva, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? So I started my training with uh, mental health and in mental health, particularly around um, psychiatry, and I was really interested in working with trauma. So I'd done a master's particularly focusing on um, trauma and war, um, but it just didn't feel fitting for me. And then I started to focus on survivors and abuse following um, war or during um, um, war. And as a result, I discovered that was an area of particular interest to me. Mm. And then I started my training as a psychotherapist um, before discovering that there was opportunities in psychosexual relationship therapy, which I hadn't even realized. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. And as a result, I started my diploma in psychosexual relationship therapy, did a placement in 56 Dean Street for mm. in and around 18 months, two years. Uh, following by starting my own private practice. So it was a little bit of a strange <laughs> doorway into psychosexual therapy from psychiatry, yeah. but been really helpful, particularly because I feel that then I have a good understanding of mental health issues and a good understanding of the biological components to ourselves and that impact our sexual health and well-being. Yes, I think that's so important, the knowledge of the biology, um, because sometimes people might be coming to us for sexual dysfunctions, and sometimes it isn't society, or it isn't in the brain, but it is in the body, you know, maybe low testosterone or um, things like that. So having that understanding is, is really important, I think. And I think we often forget that and negate it when we think about therapy in general but actually there is it's absolutely vital to have an understanding of the underpinnings of mental health uh, conditions um but the but the physiological components to it and being able to support somebody in a holistic way uh, mm -hmm. rather than just through talking therapy and and being able to advocate for reaching out to sexual health services to gps to um gynecologists gynecologists, urologists, etc. And kind of working in a way that's multidisciplinary so that the client is is supported in an intrinsic manner. Yes, I completely agree. And I think it was on when I was studying, it was my first weekend. They threw us in with a doctor talking about everything biology. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is so hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's all kind of settled a lot since then. But I'm so glad that we have that well-rounded training because um, I know that on some trainings that isn't as much emphasized. And I think it's really, really important. 
Yeah. And I think part of that as well is a lot of the time when people present with sexual health issues that uh, perhaps that's an indicator for something more sinister going on inside. Mm. For example, like erectile dysfunction is a really good example of that, that it could be the first indicator of a cardiac issue. Yes. So the importance of being aware of that and being able to uh, encourage somebody to attend their their GP for, for their overall health, not just their sexual health. Yes. Wonderful. I'm so happy to have you here today. You're so <laughs> brimming full of knowledge. I love it. Um, <laughs> and today we're going to talk about the pleasure gap, sometimes also known as the orgasm gap. Aoife, can you get us started by telling the listeners what this is? Yeah, I think what's really important, and we highlighted this just before we started, was the use of language in this podcast, particularly maybe slightly different in terms of it, the, the inclusivity, because one of the big issues around the pleasure or orgasm gap is the lack of research for trans and non-binary folk. Um, so really this is quite a, a, um, a specifically, particularly as we will discuss as well, heteronormative, cisgendered um, piece of research that's out there. But hopefully in the future, we'll, we'll have a load more information and education and research done for, for those of different gender identities. But at the moment, what the pleasure gap really is, is just not dissimilar to the pay gap as a gendered inequality. So the discrepancy between men and women um, around uh, particularly uh, heterosexual men and women around the ability to reach orgasm and what is kind of precluded with that. So I think it's 91% of men and 39% of women orgasm in sex which also sex is another part of how we define it falls into the pleasure gap too but in in sexual encounters so there we see a huge difference difference in the numbers particularly if we look at as we define sex as well as being predominantly penis and vagina I think about 95 percent of people heterosexual cisgendered people define sex as being intercourse penis and vagina sex um, and when we have such a low number of women being able to achieve orgasm, mm -hmm. 83% of women need clitoral stimulation. So in which case, penis and vagina sex just isn't going to cut it. <laughs> yes. And a lot of the research alludes to um, that in casual hookups, that the percentage is a lot lower than people in relationships. And <clears throat> they make a big point in the research saying about how it's not anatomy it's not the fact that women can't climax as easily because they have a clitoris and a vagina instead of a penis but it is to do with as you're saying the type of sex that is involved in this and perhaps in hookup culture that is less prioritized so I don't know if the listeners can consider the last few hookups that they've had, if they have had hookups, and just notice what type of sexual scripts are playing out. So was was it penis and vagina? Was there any oral or um, hands-on masturbation sex? You know, what mm. was included? Mm. Absolutely. And I think there's this idea that women's orgasms are elusive because the clitoris is so... 
is so intricate and complex and uh, the, um, the, also the huge piece of research is around the dictation of men's orgasms as the ending of sex. Mm-hmm. So if man orgasms that the woman but both parties may stop having sex when the woman hasn't and the idea that actually we can continue too. So there's, I think, a few narratives that happen, particularly if we think about hookup sex and it being maybe a bit more transactionary, that those kind of communications around the sexual scripts, which equally we can talk about what sexual scripts are, but the narratives that we have around it aren't necessarily discussed aren't necessarily challenged. Yes. And I think a lot of that goes down to um, a lot of women feeling like they can't prioritize their pleasure or they don't know how to prioritize their pleasure or how to ask for what they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of that is perhaps around that lack of education I mean, a huge part of of the pleasure gap, if not the biggest issue with the pleasure gap, is is the lack of education. We know through school that we're taught at a biological component the almost importance of a male orgasm because it's the ejaculation which creates sperm, you know, which releases sperm, which creates a baby. (laughs) And so that orgasm for women it doesn't seem like a necessary and so therefore it's not discussed and of course pleasure which if yet again if it comes from the clitoris for the majority of women isn't even spoken about yeah so why would we have the vocabulary to talk about it and why would we have the passion or drive to talk about it when from a very early age we're told it's not important yes I think that's so important. And I also think it's to do with stigmatization around um, women not masturbating and how masturbating is for men and it's it's for boys and it's not for women and it's not for girls. And um, maybe also the lack of talking about masturbation. It's a lot more common, I think, to talk about masturbation with male friends and as jokes. But for women, it's a lot more shied away from. And if women are not masturbating, we, you know, we might not know, firstly, what feels good. And secondly, because of this lack of education around the majority of women orgasming from clitoral stimulation, we might not think we are normal and therefore maybe feeling like we can't express that to our partners because we feel ashamed or we we just don't know what pleasures us. Absolutely. And I think whenever we talk as psychosexual therapists to clients, for me personally, irrespective of, of uh, gender identity, I always talk about the pleasure gap because it it it's it's really difficult for both parties. It, it hurts both parties. And so part of that is about masturbation and understanding ourselves. And so for, for women, the particular emphasis is becoming maybe less shy, more interested, mm-hmm. finding out, is there anything there? Is there any shame? Is there any disgust? Is there any, yeah. is, yeah. is there any aversion to looking at the vulva, touching the vulva before even getting to 
masturbation and talking about the the benefits of it and then um let's add on the clitoris <laughs> and becoming clitoris as we uh, i don't know who coined the term but it's fair play <laughs> stuff because it's great yeah. but really coming clitoris and understanding it and understanding yourself and then you're able to start communicating that to your partner yes and I think you hit the nail on the head there because the first step is building up that connection between the brain and the vulva because as I've mentioned on previous podcasts a lot of women firstly haven't looked at their vulva and though some of those who have haven't started a kind of communication or a dialogue or just focused on that connection and then that's the first stepping stone to then working on masturbation or just touching for um touching sake just to get to know the vulva a little bit more you don't even need to be touching it for pleasure at the beginning but just how does this feel underneath my hand what what sensations if any can I be aware of and tuning into that mm, absolutely and sometimes it starts with that sense of simple anatomy yeah um, all vulvas are different and unique and wonderful. So what's my vulva like and what works for me? Because what we also forget is the clitoris goes back further than the external part. Mm-hmm. So for what works for one person may not work for another. So understanding that importance that you are unique and you can tap into that uniqueness to give you pleasure. And I think then also it's about understanding perhaps this what barriers are there in order to do so and then working through that and whether that's through there's some really good books out there like Karen Gurney's Mind the Gap and like Emily Nagoski's um, uh, Come As You Are you know there's loads of books out there to be able to educate yourself as well so it's not just about the physical touch but equally about what's happening psychologically yeah that historical components and the narratives that we have, the scripts that we have. And it's making me think about faking orgasms. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we don't know what we like and we feel like we should be orgasming from penis and vagina um, intercourse, then there's this huge culture that's been created about faking orgasms. And although I understand the intention behind them, the intent to make the partner feel happy a lot of the time. You know, sometimes there's other reasons. Maybe we just want to get it over with. um, And that's a quicker way to do that. Because I do think a lot of the partners, so a lot of men, as we're talking about today, they, they do want to please their partner. So I don't think this has got to do with an unwant to please their partner and a selfishness on a man's behalf. But maybe to do with as you say, the lack of education. So maybe they are trying to please their partners in the wrong way. You know, a lot of women don't really care so much about going all night, but they do care about stimulation on the clitoris whilst they are going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think that's absolutely a, a fair point. And part of that is communication, but communication is is an impasse when we believe that you use the word should 
that we should be orgasming, mm-hmm. that sex should be innate. We should just know how to do it and we should be coming with our partner at the same time. Yeah. Um, but that is one big myth. I mean, there's loads of myths, right? But that is definitely <laughs> one that's perpetuated by the media um, and perpetuated by society and the lack of communication that we have and the lack of kind of transparency, I think, historically, particularly um, as to what really does happen and what sex is about. And so if we think that we should be having orgasms and we should be making our partner happy, we fake it. But that ends up just not being able to understand ourselves better and our partner not knowing. And then it also creates and maintains maybe an aspect of guilt or shame. Yeah, something yeah. wrong with me. Yeah, Why can't I? So I think it's so important that we we kind of challenge this sense of actually, you know, it's not going to be useful for you to fake those orgasms. And that it's okay if it's a challenge. And that your pleasure is as important as, you know, if we look at them, yet again, keeping in the, the kind of gendered component is the male counterpart. Yes. And I think that is the takeaway of the podcast. Your pleasure is as important. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's everything that summarizes everything because a lot of women have grown up not thinking that their pleasure is as important because of the culture around ejaculation being the end of a sexual Mm. situation and I think the research is um that there was a very small I think it was only 14 people so a very very small collective um of women but bisexual women and they got asked Mm. how frequently they're able to orgasm with both men and women And the research was quite huge because they said 64% of the time they were able to orgasm with women and only 7% of the time with men. So I think this feeds back into what we're talking about, about the clitoris and how, you know, we call it foreplay, but for a lot of women, that is the main play. And Mm. how can Mm. we ensure for those people that do really benefit from that type of sexual interaction, how can we ensure that is part of the sexual script and which is being played out? Mm. Yeah, I think on that point, another bit of research that that I had read was 95% of women who um, masturbate regularly Mm. um, climax regularly during masturbation. But yet when there's heterosexual sex happening and and there's maybe that p and v sex is the pinnacle um the men orgasm three times more than the woman Mm. and so i think in in regards to that and the discrepancy through different sexualities and and lesbian and bisexual women orgasming more with having sex women having sex with women basically it's a huge indicator as to what's happening with the sexual scripts that we have Mm. and just I suppose for listeners out there what the sexual script is is the history that we have and the narratives and the story that we've collected over time as to what defines sex for us as individuals. So societal components and um, cultural components, uh, gendered gender roles, perhaps. Um, it's going to be different for everybody in terms of where you're born, you know, perhaps your ethnicity, perhaps religious um, aspects too. Um, 
but equally the sex education you received and more importantly what we can all collectively I believe identify with and there not being much of a difference is the media and the impact of of movies on that sense of you can all we can all picture that scene where there's a man and woman in bed and and they're having sex and they both lie back in the bed delighted you know they're having climax at exactly the same time I mean really that's something that needs to be dispelled uh, so and and more often than not as well we very rarely see the woman not the woman not orgasming but we see like the the man orgasming and the woman maybe not if that makes sense if I articulated that correctly yeah and so it's that narrative that that's okay almost and yet again just feeds into that story of what we're supposed to be doing yes and I think one way to consider that is um for the listeners who are women who have sex with men if you were having sex with your partner and you didn't climax would you see that as a failed attempt at sex and then switching perspective to if your male partner didn't climax, would you see that as a failed sexual experience? Because a lot of people, um, they hold them in different hierarchies. And as we've been saying, I think one of the ways, as well as education to dispel this, is communication. Mm-hmm. So communicating, well, talking to everyone and anyone about this, so friends, family members, but specifically the people or person you are having sex with. Um, and you know, talking about maybe your masturbation practice and what you enjoy and what else Mm -hmm. you could try and what else you think could be fun to include. And I know that these conversations can be quite embarrassing and they can fill you with lots of shame. So I think it's about asking, well, what do I feel comfortable talking to my partner or partners with right now? What's a baby step Mm -hmm. that I can take to go towards Mm -hmm. this and to even the playing field a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's exactly it. It's baby steps. Because yeah. it is scary to have these conversations. And it, Kate Moyle has a really good quote. And I'm not going to do it justice. But <laughs> the most people, the, the most difficult conversations to have with people around sex are people we're having sex with, right? Yeah. And uh, it's really about just easing your way in. And what can I do now? What do I feel comfortable with now? And opening up and starting that dialogue that feels safe. So I think it's really important that, like you said, that baby steps and not putting the pressure that I need to say everything and I need to know everything. You don't. Because pleasure and sex is a voyage of discovery. We're constantly learning and unlearning, just like our sexual scripts. We have learned these, but that doesn't mean that we can't unlearn. That's the wonder of, of being human, that we can unlearn our our myths our behaviors our thoughts that are perhaps challenging to us that are unhelpful to us and relearn new ones so redefining sex like for example one of the things I know we talk about Becky is is uh, foreplay there's this sense of foreplay being the prelude to this finale which is going to be in v-sex and if it's if that doesn't happen sex is a failure because we didn't have sex and sex is whatever you define it to be and I think um it's particularly if we look at the non-circular like the Rosemary Basson um non-circular uh method of sex um that it is all about the importance of enjoyment 
and pleasure is paramount, not penetration. And so really being able to kind of come back to what am I enjoying now and how do I communicate that with my partner? Whether it's in the moment or whether you can reflect on it afterwards and having that conversation. Yes. And I think that's such an important point you just made about it being pleasure. Um, because I know we're talking about it today as a gap in orgasm. But mm. if you are someone who doesn't orgasm, it, it's still about prioritizing your pleasure and finding things that work for you. Um, and it doesn't have to be purely orgasm. It, it can be any type of sensation that you enjoy, any type type of increments of pleasure, however big or however small, um, and just trying to learn what works for you and bringing them into relation with someone or um, other people. Yeah, absolutely. And that does take time and meeting that with compassion, meeting that with self-compassion and gentleness and kindness towards yourself so that you can gradually learn rather than it kind of reinforcing anything negative around yourself. And yet again, that takes time, that takes patience. But there's great things now that are happening, like your podcast and other podcasts out there that are accessible to you learn and listen to people who can be able to help through that and challenge things like the, the linear model um, to um, challenge the, the narratives around foreplay and to look at ways of redefining sex and the ability to communicate more effectively that's beneficial for, for all parties. Yeah. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you could consider how would it be to on my next sexual experience with someone how would it be to do something that doesn't include penetration how does that fit with you how would that feel could you have an oral sex session could you have a mutual masturbation session you can masturbate yourselves whilst being with each other or maybe just being naked and hugging or for those of you interested in tantra breathing and eye gazing whilst touching each other's bodies and exploring and experimenting with other ways that do not necessarily include penetration mm -hmm. and for those of you who feel like it can be quite intimidating having the conversations we've been speaking, even though we've been talking about chunking it into baby steps, I just had a thought that, you know, maybe sexting or something like that could be a good way to bridge the gap. You could, even if you're in the same house, you know, one of you might be working downstairs, one of you might be working upstairs, but start that erotic dialogue, which, um, Firstly, can help boost the kind of fiery erotic energy, especially if you've been quarantining together. Um, you might be feeling a little bit depleted in that. But it's also a good way of asking for what you want indirectly, because then the other person might know, oh, but that's something they're interested in. Maybe we can incorporate that next time in a real life situation. Mm -hmm. I think those are really, really good points. And sometimes it's difficult to say things verbally. Um, so finding little ways, whether that's leaving notes around or writing a letter or sexting is a really good way of, of uh, connecting with each other and learning about each other if it's scary at the start. And, and the thing with sex is because we can define it any way we like, we can do what we want within that parameter, obviously in a safe consenting manner. Mm -hmm. And I think I just had that thought there, and I don't know about you, Becky, if you use Sensei Focus, 
So Sensate yeah. Focus, for those listening, is, is, was written by Masters and Johnsons in the 1960s. And it's, um, it's a program that is for couples who perhaps are really struggling with anything from libido to erectile dysfunction to uh, vaginismus. It doesn't necessarily matter, but it's about reconnecting. And I don't think that Masters and Johnson knew at the time, but what they were doing was mindful sex, yes. right? <laughs> and like mindfulness has only really come to the forefront in the last kind of maybe eight years or so and it's it's a, this program of building up to intercourse um, and penetration but I, I don't know about you I, I mean I write my own because it was written in the 1960s yes. and um, <laughs> it's a little bit dated but more, more so it's a lot of pressure in terms of time yeah and it just doesn't work for everybody and also there are things that some couples bring to the session and I go oh that that's not gonna you know may not quite work for us and and actually we don't like this so we just tailor it but ultimately it's it's this idea of of connecting in ways in ways that are just more sensual more intimate and just being able to take that anxiety down a little bit and reconnect in ways that perhaps most people wouldn't have even thought of and hopefully making it fun too but (laughs) the idea is is that you realize by the end of it, by that nine week, by that kind of last few days, how unimportant penis and vagina sex is. Yes. So many other opportunities and so many other things that we can do. Yes, I love that. And I think, yeah, Sensate Focus is a wonderful tool and it's just making me think of Tantra as well because one of the things I love about Tantra is that mindfulness quality. So instead of it being... um, I don't know, the movie Fast and Furious name came into my head instead of it being like Fast and Furious. It's taking a step back, slowing down, connecting with the partner. And it can feel quite vulnerable to do. So a a good um, thing to try out if you're new to Tantra and you want to explore is to eye gaze with your partner. I was just thinking of that (laughs) exercise. I love it. Um, When me and my husband first started eye gazing, it it was well it was hilarious we just <laughs> we were just laughing and laughing we you know it surprised me I've never really looked into into anyone's eyes for a long duration of time before um so when I invite people to do this to build the connection I say you know if you laugh that is completely normal if you cry mm. that is completely normal if you don't do anything but you just look into each other's eyes that is completely normal as well you know all the experiences are normal um and it just it's a really lovely way. So listeners, you could try that at home, set the timer for two minutes, see if you can look into your partner's eyes. And yes, you can blink because I get that question a lot. Am I allowed to blink? <laughs> yes, it's not a staring competition. But my eyes are drying off with the thought. <laughs> so you can blink, you can hold hands, um, but try not mm. to talk. And that is already just such a good way to um, well, channel the sexuality and find mm. a different level of intimacy. Mm, yeah absolutely and that just takes you know the, the, it, it makes it even easier in a sense for c- communicating as well because there's a sense like of intimacy is into me see right that sense of <laughs> that transparency between you and that vulnerability between you when that vulnerability breeds vulnerability and in which case you're able to hopefully be able to communicate a little bit more feel a little safer with that too and we can always do with more and more connection and it's always scary to have difficult conversations but if you're able to be vulnerable with the other person and feel safe doing so it makes it easier yes 
Oh, I love that so much. And I really, really enjoy this podcast. It's been mm-hmm. such a pleasure having you. Mm-hmm. And can you tell the listeners where they can find you? So you can find me on my website, which is drawytherapy.com. You can find me on Instagram, which is also Drew Therapy, I believe. Um, a bit more sporadically on there, there but I am contactable on, through my website. I am on Twitter too. Um, it has been such a pleasure to have you. I'm going to post all your information in the show notes page. So listeners, you can find um, Aoife there. And yeah, I'd love to have you back on a future episode. Thanks, Becky. It was so nice to chat with you.